I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am strategic and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. You uh, know, uh, chapter 8 is the new chapter, page 89, and we are on the issue. This, uh, maybe one day we'll get to teach on this here at Sunrise, but it's the topic of future events. Wow, what a, what a concept. Maybe we should try that one day. But the whole point is this, as you can see there on the top. Hey, Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, he's an anointed Christian. Isn't he awesome? Could you turn the volume down just a hair there, please, there on the... Exciting there, and I hopefully we'll get rid of some of that uh, feedback there. But as you can see on the top of page uh, 89, it says, Can we know the future? Okay, uh, is the question. Okay, now here's how he starts. He says, Now, you can consult with the psychic of the stars. Learn what the future holds for your romance, finances, and career. This is the key to winning the lottery. Huh? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's, that's what the world is, okay? And that's what we're seeing. Can you know the future? And it's, we're going to see, yeah, you can as a Christian. But everybody wants to know the future, don't they? How's tomorrow going to turn out? How's it all going to work out? Okay, and the good news is, and that's the whole issue of Bible prophecy, we can know the future. It's good news, okay? But you don't need to turn to those hucksters uh, for these other things. And here's what he says. There's probably uh, never been a time in history when more people are seeking ways to know the future. Psychics and seers of all kinds proclaim their mystical abilities to know the future on television and magazines and newspapers, dignitaries, uh, and entertainment celebrities have their own personal advisors who give them secrets from the spiritual world. Isn't that awesome? And that's something that you and I, the Christian, can partake of as well. No. Uh, every single one of those sources uh, is not from God, and he warns about that. Open your Bibles. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18 is the classic text, okay? And uh, as God clearly warns against this, because what you see is you turn there, is you're dealing with the demonic influences. Okay, and what do demons do? Demons lie. Okay, why? Because they're a coke, the uh, workers of iniquity, just like Satan, who's the father of lies. So that's what they do. They do what their leader does. That's what they do. They lie. Okay, they're not a trustworthy source, and they snooker people away from Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, uh, is the classic text there. It says this. He says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn 
to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there and let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. Can you believe that? That culture of the day. It was the god Molech is what they would do. One of the, the false gods out there. And he was a hollow, huge giant statue. He was hollow. And inside they build a fire inside that hollow giant idol. And they'd heat that thing up till it become red hot. Like a red hot coal. And then they would chuck their kids into the arms of Molech and they burn them alive. That's what he's talking about there, the practice. And the reason why they did that is because they believed that the god Molech would uh, help them financially and help them secure their future. And so we would never see a culture on the planet again today that would literally kill and sacrifice their children for the sake of financial welfare and expediency. What's that? Doing the same thing today. But that's a whole other sermon. Let's continue on. He goes on with that. He says, uh, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or cast spells, who's a medium or spiritist or consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God is going to drive these nations out before you, but you must be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, skip down to 17. So, well, how do you know? How do you know if a message is from God? Well, he's got a 100% track record because unlike demons and Satan, he doesn't lie. Okay, skip down to verse 17. The Lord said to me, well, what they say is good. I'll, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words, God speaking here, uh, into his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, God speaking, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, the Lord's giving me a word, brother, I'll tell you what the Lord told me. You better be careful. Better be careful, because you're, you're actually proclaiming that what God is telling me, to t a word from God, is the Christianese phrase. He said, who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be what? Why such a serious charge back then? Because God doesn't ever get it wrong. You can always trust God. If he says it, take it to the bank 100% of the time. And so how dare you give God a bad rep saying you're from God, you're a prophet from God, and you get it wrong even once, okay? And he says this, uh, you may say to yourselves, well, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord, what he says is in the name of the Lord, and it does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, don't be afraid of him. Oh, don't talk about me, I'm the Lord's anointed, you can't. Sorry, you got it wrong shut you off i don't know how many false teachings today even like jehovah's witnesses because they do that they predicted in the, the world so many times and they got it wrong why do people continue to even listen to them the first time they got it wrong should have been a mass exodus and they'd gone out of existence because we don't pay attention to god's word okay but that's what uh, the world does that's not what god is talking about here can we know the future that's not our source it comes from god's word okay he continues on but the question is can we christians can we know the future Yes, that's right, Ruth, we can. Okay, uh, for the Bible-believing Christian, the answer to this is yes, we can know the future, not because somebody has some special ability to receive answers to their questions from the spiritual world, but because God's already revealed it to us in his word, the Bible. Okay, the preordained course of history and its ultimate culmination. The sovereign God who created the universe, listen, is carrying out his plan to redeem his elect, to destroy evil, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's what he's talking about, ultimately, in Bible prophecy. And that's a good thing. Do you think that's a good thing to be reminded that God's going to redeem his elect? 
That's an encouraging word. Do you think it's good to know that he's going to destroy evil for good? Yeah, and then he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Everything's always going to be right and just and fair all the time. Yeah, that's good news, okay? And he's recorded how and when he's going to do that to his revelation to man. But in this day of so much interest of the future, even Bible-believing Christians are saying, listen, it is not important for us to study future events. You're missing out on some major mega blessings if you do that. And we'll get to that several reasons just even tonight. But this reminds me of what I even shared a Sunday if you were there uh, after we saw about the health care bill and the things that they're uh, implementing that thing. And as the one uh, commentator was saying, how in the world could these guys, politicians who profess to be Christians, many of them, how could they have signed off on that? How could they agreed with a lot of this legislation that goes against our uh, uh, Christian belief system? And if you remember that quote, he said because he blames their lack of biblical knowledge from a lack of good biblical preaching from the pulpit, specifically in these times when this stuff is taking place, Bible prophecy. He said many denominations and churches right now are forbidding teaching Bible prophecy, which is the same policy of communist China. You can read all that other stuff, but don't talk about Jesus Christ coming back because he's the one who's going to rule. And oh, by the way, the Bible is the only book on the planet that tells us in intimate detail what the Antichrist is going to be doing so that we're not caught off guard. So if you were the Antichrist and you were getting ready to ramp it up and pull it off, okay, uh, what's the last book that you would want people uh, to read? Specifically, the books that talk about the specific game plan, i.e. prophecy. It's not by chance. And that's why he says, unfortunately, when all this is happening on such a rapid scale, the trend is the church says, zip it up. Zip it up. Don't teach it. Okay, so why should we do it? Well, Dr. Roy Zuck in his excellent book, that's right, Basic Bible Interpretation, he states the following. He says, uh, though differences of opinion have prevailed for many years on how to interpret Bible's prophetic statements, the Bible does give a number of reasons for studying its prophetic literature. Now, before I get there, I've got to take advantage of this exciting artwork that I created tonight. Yeah, now, you can't read it, but it looks cool, okay? And I'll try to explain it to you. <laughs> I'm a little, whatever, there's a, I tried my best. You know, I didn't even get it to scale, but whatever. So, but anyway, that's what it is. So, but before we get there, can we know the future? Yes, we can in intimate detail. We are the only ones on the planet, Christian, who have the privilege and the honor to know 100% for sure. I'm not saying, well, is that really a word? For, no, this is really what's going to happen. Unlike anybody else on the planet. We alone have a sure word of what's coming down the pike. And so let's just take a look at the future of the prophetic events. What's coming down uh, the pike? Of course, we had the beginning of time, Genesis. <clears throat> and then the culmination piece, of course, is Jesus Christ on the cross. All right? Salvation's always been by faith. Okay, you had the Old Testament saints looking forward to the cross. As New Testament saints, this is what's called the church age. Anybody can be saved, Jew or Gentile. Okay, we look back towards the cross. Okay, that's the time period that we're in. Well, what's the next prophetic on, on God's time calendar? Well, that's the rapture of the church. And that's going to happen. It can happen, actually, literally, it can happen at any time. Okay, there's nothing in a prophetically that's holding that from uh, taking place. It can happen now, literally. And after that, you're going to see Daniel 9.27 kicks into place. This is the event that starts the seven-year tribulation. And this is when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with Israel for seven years, hence the seven-year tribulation. Okay, anybody on the planet trying to make a peace treaty with Israel? The guy who does it specifically for seven years, that guy, you'll know, if unfortunately you're left behind, you'll know that you're on, uh, that is the actual Antichrist. Okay, we know that's going to be a tip-off. But that starts the time clock. And right after that, you have the seal judgments. You got the trumpet judgments, okay, over here. 
okay? This is supposed to be the halfway point, even though it's not to scale. And that's the trumpet judgments, and that's the bold judgments that's over here, okay? Right after he starts the seven-year tribulation with that peace treaty, you have the first seal, the white horse rider. Many believe that that's the Antichrist himself, okay? And uh, he comes in with just a bow, no arrows, and people believe that this is a peaceful coup, if you will. He takes over the world with the promises of peace. You just let me rule you, you, this one world government and one world economy and this one world religion we got now and you let me rule over here and it's going to be utopia. Oh, by the way, those nasty fundamental Christians are gone. But don't worry for those of you who had loved ones who were Christians because as we saw before, it was the UFOs that got perfect excuse. Perfect excuse in the last days. Explain away the rapture just like that. Nobody will even twice. Okay, so the white horse ride. So everybody, there's a, there's a short period. Most people don't understand this the seven-year tribulation actually begins if you want to call it that on a high note yeah, yeah utopia finally peace on the planet boom the second uh, rider comes in the red horse rider war breaks across the planet the second seal third seal is the black horse rider you got a global famine that takes across the planet the fourth seal you got the pale horse rider one of the uh, uh, planet is uh, uh, annihilated in that judgment if it were to happen today that's about two billion people uh, with sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts on the earth. Then the fifth seal happens. That's the altar of souls. Global persecution uh, takes place. People can still get saved during the seven-year tribulation. You might want to get saved now. Save yourself some serious headaches. Literally, pun intended, because we know the uh, method of execution, which is happening to come back today, is decapitation, Revelation 20. Okay, uh, but the fifth seal is the global persecution. People can still get saved. You got the two witnesses going out there. Uh, you got the angel at some point that, that begins to proclaim the gospel, uh, as well as well as the 144,000 male Jewish evangelists that go across the planet. So the gospel is still going to go out, as well as anything I would say logically, contextually, we leave behind. You know, any stuff that they come across. Okay, but you got the global persecution, okay? Then you have the sixth seal. This happens, and this sixth seal, when it busts open, it's a foreboding sign with, with, with the, the seventh, and that's what basically starts the second half of the tribulation. This is the uh, uh, seven-year tribulation. This second half is so bad, it's called, in the Bible, the great tribulation. Okay, in other words, if you think this first three and a half years was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay, and, and see, when the sixth seal happens, you, you haven't hit there, but the six seals, you got this global earthquake, the sun turns black, the moon turns blood red, that means volcanoes are going off, shutting out the sky all over the planet. Asteroids, the sky recedes, the mountain and islands on the whole planet are removed from their places. That's how big that earthquake's gonna be. Okay, serious event. But it's just like a foreboding, oh, oh, oh. and then you have the, the seventh one. And then you got, to, at that point, what culminates simultaneously with that event is the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years, the midway point, the Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt Jewish temple. They're doing that today. And he goes in there and declares himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about, Jesus referred about, Matthew 24. Okay, so you see that event taking place, and that's when it gets really bad. Then you get into the trumpet judgments. The first trumpet, you got one-third of the earth is burned up. Okay, the second trumpet, you got one-third of the sea dies. Okay, the, the fourth trumpet, you got one-third of, of the solar smiting. The sun is blocked out and the moon and the things of that nature. A fifth trumpet, that's horrible. For five months, a demon horde is released from the abusas, the abyss, and they torture people for five months who receive the mark of the beast. It's a really, really graphic scene that's going on in that text. Maybe someday. Uh, sixth trumpet, you got four angels who've been prepared for that very day and very hour uh, are released, and they kill another one-fourth of mankind, or one-third of mankind. One-fourth is taken out here. Another one-third is going in one fell swoop. That's not counting everybody else in between. I mean, it's just massive, massive slaughter uh, as we're talking about. And then you got uh, with the seventh trumpet, which again, each trumpet, the seventh trumpet opens up the next judgment. 
The seventh seal opens up the, seventh, uh, the first trumpet. The seventh trumpet opens up uh, the first, with the first bowl. The first bowl, you got painful sores break out. And this is towards the end there. This is God's final, oh, okay. What's really cool is in the Greek there, when we think of bowl, we think of like a, how many guys eat popcorn? And when you eat popcorn, you gotta have a popcorn bowl. And the popcorn bowl isn't just your average little nice little cereal bowl. It's the manly bowl. It's the bowl that you could probably change the oil uh, in a semi-truck. If it's like my house, it's that bowl. <laughs> because when you eat popcorn, you gotta eat popcorn. Okay, so when we think of bowls, we're thinking, oh, it's, it's a big bowl. It's big. No, no, no. What's really cool in the Greek, this is cool. It's almost like, it's like, a, it's like a, almost just a hair bit bigger than a saucer is, is the Greek word that's used there. And it's like, a, it, can you imagine trying to carry water, not in a big popcorn bowl, but in just a, 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 a almost like a saucer? You know how, how precarious that is? And then when you go to tip it, it just, <laughs> that's the word that's used there. This is God's final outpouring of his wrath. It's really cool what's going on in the Greek there. And so you got to the first one, painful sores break out on everybody who takes the mark of the beast. The second bowl, all the sea creatures die. Can you imagine that? All, not a third. Every living thing in all the sea on the whole planet is dead. Can you imagine just the stench from that? But just the judgment of that. And then all the fresh water dies. Not just a third of it's taken out early in the trumpet judgment. Now all the fresh water. Now you have no fresh water, uh, any kind of water source on the planet. Aha, next judgment. Guess what? Sun turns up. Start scorching people uh, with fire and they curse God, it says. Then the fifth bowl, the Antichrist kingdom is plunged into darkness. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates rivers dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east to come to the battle of Armageddon. The seventh bowl happens. It's God's last one. It literally is, it is done. And at this point, listen to this. The greatest of all earthquakes ever takes place uh, on the planet. You got Jerusalem split into, into three. Babylon, um, the, the harlot system, the one world religion that rode with the Antichrist, worked with them, duped the planet is judged by God, burned big time. Uh, is, God pours out his wrath on her. All the cities on the whole planet, every city, not some, every city, not a third, every city on the whole planet is collapsed. Every city on the planet. That's how huge this earthquake is. And all the mountains and the islands are not just moved, it says re removed. And then 100 pound hailstones start dropping from the sky. You're still not done because then Jesus Christ, praise God, we come back with him, okay? We come back with him, Revelation chapter 19, we come back with him and there's the battle of Armageddon. Can you believe it? The Antichrist duping one last time, dupes the world to try to take on God. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and Jesus comes back, and then you have the angel harvest. You got the massive angel harvest, all those who uh, are not saved harvested and they get chucked into hell. Uh, and then those who survive, they get to be ushered in into the millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ comes back, puts it out. Now, after that, if you want to keep going, of course, this is not to scale because this is supposed to represent a thousand years. So play with me, will you? Okay, right after the seven years of tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, he sets up the millennial reign. At the end of the millennial reign, 1,000 years, there's what's called the final rebellion. The whole time it's been awesome because Satan has been bound in the pit the whole time, okay? And nobody can mess with you. No Satan, no demons, no nothing. And after that, there's one final rebellion. God puts it down. There is no seven years on this thing. He just <laughs> squelches it, okay? And then Satan is chucked forever into the lake of fire where it says the beast and the false prophet are which means it is not annihilation they've been in there for the last thousand years and they're still there so they're continuing on hell is eternal okay and so they he gets chucked in there there's then what you have is what's called the great white throne judgment everybody of all humanity's history that ended up in hell is raised before the great white throne judgment of god they are judged by god i mean it's already done they're basically your was your name in the book of life 
okay? And they basically go from the frying pan into the fire. You thought hell was bad? Now you're going into the lake of fire. And so shall it always be. At that point, that is literally, if you will, the end of time. The, the theologians call it the eternal state. Isn't that awesome? We can know the future. Prophecy, yeah. Well, you know, some people have different opinions of that. I mean, with Christians, we're up here uh, with that, and I would say that that's where that's uh, going to take place, okay, at the rapture. Okay, Paul talks about that. If we can get into that text with First Thessalonians, he talks about, he says, we certainly will not precede uh, those who've fallen asleep or already died in Christ. What's he talking about? Well, at the rapture, okay, see, because we, if we die and go to heaven right now, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Well, if we were to die right now, prior to the rapture, we get is what's called, 1 Corinthians 15, a spiritual body. But that's not our resurrected body, okay? Now, the resurrected body happens for us at the rapture, all right? So there's a whole bunch of Christians who's already died, who's in heaven with Jesus, okay? They got their spiritual bodies, but they don't have their resurrected bodies. So when do they get those? That's what Paul's talking about. They get theirs first. Their bodies rise again from the grave, meet them, and they cruise up in the air, and we get ours simultaneously at the rapture. We get our resurrected bodies. We don't go through that difference. Of the, you see what I'm saying? And that's what he's talking about. We won't precede those who vote because they get their bodies first and we, if you will, are hard on their heels. Okay, and at that point we go to be with the Lord. Okay, uh, and then that's where people say that's where your judgment seat. And again, what's the Bama seat? <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you lied one time and you're a Christian, you're going to hell. No, that was a, a judgment seat. It was a, for rewards. Okay, it's like with the Olympic Games today and they get and they go onto that that judgment platform, if you will. And they say, well, this guy got first place and this guy got second place. Well, you got third place. You're going to hell. No. Okay, you just get different rewards. Does the Bible talk about different rewards? At least five different rewards the scripture talks about. Okay, and again, Revelation 4 puts it in context. That doesn't mean that we're going to get up there and go, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, my crown's bigger than yours. Jordan whipped up on all of us because he... Made a movie, it was really cool. Hey, that's not funny, buddy. Okay, no, it's not a competition thing. Revelation 4 says, yes, we have the ability to earn different crowns, but we have the privilege to lay them at the feet of Jesus out of love and thankfulness and gratefulness. Thank you that I could even have something to show for what you've done for me, okay? So that's what he's talking about, but the, the judgment there, this, the dishing out of rewards, okay? But also, there's also an indication, too, of that aspect that will come out in the millennial kingdom the bible talks about the old testament prophets when he starts to isaiah and others when they talk about the millennial kingdom they talk about positions of reigning with jesus christ so there's also that aspect too okay in uh, when we get to literally rule and reign with him on the earth okay but all that said wasn't that horrible news i just feel so discouraged when i talk about these future events it's just so no and that's what we're going to see tonight guys there's so many blessings Okay, turn your Bibles once again, uh, this time Revelation chapter 1. Okay, and this is what we're going to see in our study. I don't know how far we can get, but um, Revelation chapter 1. And God tells us the importance of reading this book. Okay, and this is just one book of prophecy. As you turn there contextually, the Bible deals directly or indirectly, three-fourths of the Bible deals directly or indirectly with some form of prophecy, whether it's talking about the first coming of Jesus or the second coming of Jesus. And as Christians, we're supposed to study the word of God. As teachers of the word of God, we need to preach the whole counsel of God. But if we never, if we listen to those denominations and churches that say, don't ever teach Bible prophecy, you just left out directly or indirectly three-fourths of the context of the Bible. So how could you say you're being honest with the word of God? How can you say you're being a true student of the word of God if you never study it, never teach it, or never get it taught? 
right? Okay, now, now, but it's also a blessing. And that's what God says. Revelation chapter one, verse one through three, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I just want to learn about Jesus. Read Revelation, man. You're going to get the real Jesus, not the Jesus on the cross. That's not what he is now. Uh-uh, he's the ascended Jesus, the right hand of the Father. You want to learn about Jesus? You want to see what he, woo, our Lord and Master, the King of Kings, rawr, the mighty warrior? He's right here. He says, uh, God gave him to show his servants that uh, must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed. Now, that's the Greek word makarios, okay? And it means spiritually prosperous. You want to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ? You want to be prospered spiritually? Blessed? Then what do you do? Blessed is the one who reads the words of what? Of this prophecy. Blessed are those who what? Hear it. And blessed are those who what? Take it to heart. What is written in it? Because the time is near. So I didn't say it. God said it. Not once, not twice, but three times. You are spiritually prosperous if you read that book. Okay? Well, why? Well, because our first point says prophecy. Here's your first blank. Comforts. What? Are you serious? That's scary. No, it comforts. Prophecy comforts. After assuring the Thessalonian believers that their beloved, uh, believing loved ones who had already died would precede the rapture of the living saints, we just talked about that, right? That exchange there with the resurrected body. Paul wrote, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Okay, in fact, he says it there in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He says, encourage one another one another with these words he continues in the context in chapter five to talk about last day's things don't worry this is good stuff and he says it again therefore encourage one another so he says it not once he says it twice when talking about these things specifically the rapture specifically the second coming of jesus christ encourage one another with these words not discourage encourage says it twice okay the news provided comfort and encouragement uh, and it has both shades of the meaning there in the Greek. In the upper room discourse, uh, discourse, Jesus introduced his comments about returning to heaven with the words, don't let your hearts be what? Trouble. Why are we freaking out, guys, about the world events? Yes, we're headed towards the mark of the beast system, but that system doesn't culminate until the seven-year tribulation time frame. We're out of here. Okay, but here's the point. If we see the technology for that kind of a system, even with a one-world government system, which is what we're on now, a one-world economy, we finished up one-world religion, and now this mark of the beast technology starting to be put into place now, what does the message being sent to you and I, what is that? It could happen that much fast. It could really happen now. Okay? But it's comforting. It's encouraging. Yes! I, I don't know about you, but the longer I live here on earth, you're in that dichotomy. Like Paul was. He says, oh man, I long to be with Christ, which is far better. Heaven is much better than here. He says, but my heart aches. I, I know that my stain, however long God wants me here, it's a benefit for the church. And that should be the uh, 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 twixt, a uh, uh, fate, if you will, that we should be in. We're like, oh man, I'm encouraged to know that. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm out of here. And it can happen any time. But while I'm still here, hopefully God could use me to be a benefit to fellow Christians and certainly share the gospel uh, with the lost. But Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And no doubt the disciples were calm when hearing Jesus would say that he would return to what? Take you with me that you may also be where I am. Did you know there is more to life than what we're dealing with now? Did you know we're not saved for this messed up version of the planet? Did you know we're headed to a place beyond our wildest dream? It's a free gift from Jesus Christ. That's encouraging. That comforts. 
And when you talk about future events, and that event coming, it's going to come. That's a good thing. Second thing prophecy does is it calms. What? I thought it freaks you out. No, no. Think about it. Our age is characterized by immorality, violence, insecurity, hatred, and an increased disregard for spiritual things. And terrible days are yet to come, 2 Timothy 3. Even so, Christians rest in the fact that God knows and controls the future. Here's the no-brainer. If God controls the future, don't you think he can control your today? And if God had a plan for the future and has it all planned out, and it's a great plan if you're a part of his plan, if you're not, you're in trouble. Then don't you think he's got a good plan for us today? See, Bible prophecy reminds us of the sovereignty of God. Bible prophecy reminds us that God's got it all mapped out. Not just the future, he's got today mapped out and tomorrow mapped out and however many more you get. That calms you down, doesn't it? When you know about the future, you know that he can take care of your today. Okay? He is totally sovereign. I, I got to share at least one story uh, of, of that. It's, it's a, uh, let me share two. Ira Sankey, you guys remember that guy? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, anyway, he's a song leader for Dwight Moody. Have you heard of that guy? Okay, praise God. Okay, he was traveling, uh, Iris Sankey, traveling on a steamboat. This is 1875, when someone just happened to ask him to sing a hymn. So he just randomly picked one out and he sang it. And when he did, a man stepped out of the shadows and asked him if he served in the Union Army doing guard duty in 1862. And when Iris said, yeah, the man continued. He said, so did I but I was serving the Confederate Army. And when I saw you standing at your post back in 1862, I raised my gun to kill you, but at that instant, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing the song you just sang now. He said, and as you did back in 1862, I began to think of my childhood. He's getting ready to kill him. He said, and my God-fearing mother, and because that was the same song she sang to me, and because of that, I couldn't kill you. Who's in control? God. God tells us in Bible prophecy, I got the future all mapped out, man. And it's a good plan. It's going to lead to good things. Oh, by the way, I also have your today planned out. I got to share this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Okay, and we got to get cruising. Uh, World War II, true story. American B-17 bomber was making a bomb raid over Germany when their gas tanks were hit by the German flak fire. But for some reason, they managed to make it back. Okay, so the next day, the pilot reflecting on the miracle of 20 millimeter shell piercing the fuel tank without exploding the plane, he went to go get that shell as a souvenir uh, of his unbelievable luck. Well, that's when the crew chief told him that not just one shell, but 11 shells had been found in the gas tank and not a single one of them exploded. So when they sent the shells, it was, still wasn't done, to the armory to be diffused, because he still wanted to get a souvenir, that's when they discovered that all 11 shells were missing their explosive charges. For some strange reason, they were as clean as a whistle, completely empty, except for one of them. Listen, and believe it or not, inside that one shell was a carefully rolled up piece of paper and on it written in Czechoslovakian, it said this, this is all we can do for you now. So some prisoner of war captured by the Nazis, probably in Czechoslovakia, was forced to work in an armory for Germany and that's their way of getting back. What's the odds of that? What does that tell you? Who's in control? Prophecy tells us God's in control. He's got everything mapped out. He's sovereign and even over our today.
Prophecy, when you understand it correctly, calms you. It comforts you, it calms you. The next one, prophecy converts you. Okay, it's the next one. Prophecy converts, okay? In the book of Acts, several sermons given by the apostles include God's plan for the future. As a result, a number of people became believers in Christ. If you look at that in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter, he spells out how Jesus fulfilled, he's preaching prophecy, right? How Jesus fulfilled much of the, uh, of the, the uh, a number of the Old Testament prophecies, he filled all of them, uh, and it says, many who heard the message, what? They got saved, okay? They believed, okay? And then Paul, he does the same thing in Mars Hill, the Areopagus there, by affirming that God had what? Now he starts talking about judgment. Don't talk about judgment. That'll scare people. Tell Paul that. He started talking about a day when God has set and he's going to judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, that he appointed. And as a result, people got saved. Interesting. And Paul was under house arrest. He preached about the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this century, many people have come to Christ as a result of hearing ser- sermons on prophetic events. Anybody notice anything going on here at Sunrise? I don't take credit for it. That's God. But what topic have we been on for a while and how many people have been getting saved? I don't take credit for that. That's God. And that's scripturally what we see. There's something about teaching about Bible prophecy to people to wake them up. Yes, it shakes them up, but that's a good thing. If it scares them straight into hell, what's so bad about that? I mean, you're into heaven. Scares them in hell, that's really bad. Okay? You just did them a favor. And that's what you see. Some people, they're not going to respond. Uh, uh, but, but you preach Bible prophecy and you talk about the urgency, you better get saved now. God has appointed a day. The rapture could happen. Do not be left behind. Ah! Well, praise God for that. Because ah, that led him up here to bow a knee before Jesus. You see it in the scripture? We are, we're even seeing it today. Okay, prophecy converts. Prophecy cleanses. Knowing that the Lord may come at any moment influences believers to lead lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Immediately after referring to the blessed hope, hello, his second coming, it should be a blessed thing. Uh, Paul referred to the Lord's desire to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. As believers look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, they should make every effort, he says, to be found what? Spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And John affirmed that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. And then he added, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Why? Well, I think a couple of different reasons why. Uh, because number one, that he's got us here. If we're still here, he wants us. He desires that none should perish. So if people are not going to perish, you got to at least throw them a bone. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Somebody's got to tell them. They're not going to get it from the media or the educational system. Somebody's got to tell them the true one and only gospel, not the gushy gospel, not the fake gospel, not the life enhancement Jesus false gospel. Somebody's got to tell them that's us. But if you live a duplicit life and you preach Jesus with your mouth, but you don't live Jesus with your life, hey, that's a bad witness. And they're going to turn from that. So if we're in this time frame and you know it can happen at any time, you might want to clean up your act so it can improve your witness. Because you know what? The world can smell a million miles away. That's a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. I'm not listening to you. You don't believe it. You don't live it. Oh, yeah, Jesus is real important to you. Look at you, right? Okay, the second thing I would say is this. This is common sense. Hey, you know, the rapture is going to happen, guys, right? Okay, we're going to see Jesus. And it's going to happen, as Paul says, just like that, in the blinking of an eye, twinkling of an eye. Mm-hmm. There it is. 
What do you want your last thing to be here on earth? Right before in that quick of a time frame. Oh, hi, Jesus. What do you want your last event to be doing before you see him? Sending up a storm? Living a worldly life? You're not following him. You act like it's a drudgery to crack open his word. You never pray. You don't do it. Is, is, is that, and you, oh, hi, Jesus. Love you. Praise God, he still loves us and accepts us because the cross is complete, amen? But how do you want to get there? Wouldn't it be cool? I always had an instructor that said this. We've talked about this before. Wouldn't it be cool if the last thing you did was you're praying and leading somebody to Christ in Jesus' name, amen? Hi, Jesus. Because it's going to happen. You're going to meet him just like that. What do you want your last thing to be? Then I'd say let's work towards being spotless and blameless, those positive commercials for Jesus, so that when we see the face of Jesus, at, at least we're doing something decent. Okay? And that's what he talks about. He cleanses us. Prophecy compels. This one's common sense. In view of the brevity of life and the soon return of the Lord, which Paul said could occur in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, believers should stand firm, quote, letting nothing move them, and always, how much? How often? Weekends? Hey, I know when it fits with your calendar. If you don't have something better else going on. Because you know, living that Christian life is boring. No, I'm sorry. He says always, letting nothing move. They always give themselves half-heartedly. Give God those leftovers. Huh? God, here you go, buddy. Leftovers. I just found this laying around. Let me blow the mold off for you. <laughs> we, we don't do that, do we? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a, the classic phrase is very convicting. And one guy says, there's so much dust on Christian Bibles. Two things. You blow on it. <laughs> if all Christians did it all at the same time, you'd create the greatest dust storm in U.S. history. Or individually, he says, there's enough dust on there to write the words damnation. If you see a Bible falling apart, it probably belongs to a Christian who's not. Okay? And so we need to get in there, always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, not leftovers. We're seeking him wholeheartedly every single day until he sees, hey, hi, Jesus. Okay, he says, and, but since the believer must appear before the judgment seat of Christ rewards, we try to what? Persuade men to come to Christ uh, for salvation because Christ's love compels us or motivates us into action. Well, but really, these events freak me out, man. How's that positive? I mean, the uh, one-fourth of the earth's gone. They're going to be eaten alive by uh, uh, wild beasts and famine and plague and all that stuff. And the sea dies. And there's no fresh water. And sun scorches. There's the mark of the bees. And this demon horde. Ah! Hey, it's not so much for you. It's to compel you that, hey, do you, do, do you want your loved one? Do you want your co-worker? you want your neighbor to go through that? See, if you don't talk about how horrible this time frame is, it just kind of takes the sting out of it, doesn't it? It doesn't motivate us like it should. Well, maybe tomorrow. You know what, next Monday. Next Monday at the beginning, I, you know, this week's mostly over. I'll just wait to, to talk to that coworker. Hey, praise God, we're going, we're gone. But who's going to be left behind to tell them as they're left behind to face this? This is not a game. This is real. This is not our consideration. But it should be a consideration for the people who don't know Jesus Christ. If we have an ounce of love, it compels us when we see what is coming. We may not face it, but they will unless they turn to Jesus. Don't you care? Okay. 
And finally, prophecy clarifies. Okay, right next to that, the, in big bold letters, put fireworks around it, asterisks, whatever you want to do. We win. Right? Bible prophecy is a, and book of Revelation is a book of victory. Not a book of fear. It's a book of victory because it reminds us, it clarifies that Jesus Christ is in control and he's coming back and he wins. He cannot lose. He will not lose. He'll never lose. And we belong to him. Bible prophecy presents many details about what God will do in the future. These facts given in many parts of the Bible present a harmonized pattern of God's future program for the church, for the world, unbelievers, nations, Satan. It doesn't matter. God's got it all under wrap. We win. We win. This, every time you crack open this message, it's not only... I mean, listen. What did, what did Revelation 3 say? 1-3. Blessed. Blessed is the, he who hears and who reads and who takes to heart all this stuff. Why? Because it comforts you. It calms you. It converts people. It gets saved. It cleanses your heart. It compels you. And it clarifies we win. And yet, churches today and entire denominations say, keep your mouth shut. And is it any wonder that so many Christians are not excited about Jesus? They're really kind of lackadaisical about sharing the gospel. And they're freaking out over world events. Or they're walking around like we're a bunch of losers. Sounds to me like you need to get back into Bible prophecy and be makarios, be blessed again. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. 
and how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you for sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please. Take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will 
come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.